You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6 and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit savagearms.com. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Got both Andy and Micah with me today. What's up, fellers? Nothing. Hi. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Got a good one today. We're going to talk about some... Missouri public lands. Exactly. Um, With nobody better than... Aaron with the hunting public. So I hope you all enjoy the show. We we are super excited to talk with him. Um, We're big fans of the hunting public, and Aaron is another Missouri resident, or born and raised in Missouri, and... Um, he's got some good stuff to talk about, so hope you enjoy the show. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, welcome to the show. we got a good one today. Uh, we are with Aaron Warbritton with The Hunting Public. Got Andy and Micah with me as well. Hello, so, hello. Howdy, howdy. And like I said, Aaron Warbritton's with us. What's going on, Aaron? Not much, guys. How hey. y'all doing? Pretty good. Um, we're excited to have you on, another Missouri boy like us. So that's that's why I reached out to you. That's right. From, got, from up in old Paris, America there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you got a little more experience than, uh, than, than we do here, though, so... We're excited to get talked to you. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we get started, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself? Um, obviously, you work or you you are working full time with the, the hunting public stuff you do. Um, introduce yourself, and then one thing we like to ask, and I think it'd be kind of cool to ask you since you've kind of been all over the place, is what is your favorite thing about Missouri? Outdoors. Sure. <laughs> the Missouri outdoors. Oh man, we could. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. I yeah. grew up in Missouri. 
Um, uh, and all my family, well, I should say all, but the majority of my family is from Missouri, northeast Missouri, around Paris. Yep. And Mark Twain Lake area, that's where uh, where I grew up hunting and learning to hunt and fish at a young age. And, uh, yeah, means a lot to me. And I'm one of the co-owners of the Hunting Public. Uh, it's a YouTube channel and basically just a, just a hunting brand that was designed and created to show people how, how to have positive experiences in the woods hunting. Absolutely. So, and y'all do a really good. We, that's what we do every day. And y'all do a that's really good job of it. Anyway. Yeah, really good job of Thanks, that too. For sure. If any of our listeners haven't, I, I don't know if if you're listening to us, I can almost guarantee you've already looked at their stuff. But <laughs> right. If you haven't, you're doing yourself a injustice by not following Hunting Public. Yeah. What, what's one thing about Missouri that you you know what sets Missouri apart a little bit in your opinion from some of these other places you've been? Um. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. My opinion has changed a ton about Missouri in the last 15 years. Uh, and I won't go too far down the rabbit hole. I'll just answer your question first. But I would say uh, the uh, the best thing that about Missouri now today is the access and opportunity. Um, it's a good balance. Missouri has a good balance of access. There's a lot of hunters in Missouri compared to like the surrounding states but there's a good amount of public access in Missouri and there is a lot of opportunity like you can you can harvest a couple of bucks each fall and you can buy over-the-counter non-resident tags for a fairly affordable price resident tags are fairly affordable the archery season is pretty long it starts in the middle of September runs clear through the beginning of January. Uh, you also have rifle season and prime time in the middle of the rut. So, and, and then, you know, alternative methods and whatnot. All in all, in the state itself is managed well enough that there seems to be good deer populations across the board. And, uh, you know, if you work hard at it and you desire to harvest a mature buck, it's doable in Missouri. They're not as prevalent as they are up in a state like Iowa, but there's a lot of differences with Missouri and Iowa. Hunter numbers being the number one thing. Right. Like there's just way, way, way more people in Missouri than there is in Iowa. So naturally you're going to have more hunters and more tags filled. But I would say whenever, whenever we get, we get asked the question all the time, like what's, what's one of the best over the counter states for white kills to go to? And Missouri is always in that top five or six states, yeah. in my opinion. And I'm biased because I'm from Missouri, obviously. But for sure. having hunted a lot of these other places too, you know, it like I said, it's it's a darn good place to go, um, just from the access perspective. Yeah, and I think that's what's cool about you know not to be. I told you guys I wouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it a little bit. So I'm going to fanboy a little right now. You know, I think that's what's really cool about the hunting public is I don't ingest a lot of my stuff um, through video, but there's there's basically two two uh, YouTube channels I watch, and that's Born and Raised with Elk and you, uh, Hunting Public with, with Whitetail. Yep. 
And I think what a lot of people can relate to is, you know, they can relate to you guys. Um, you seem like your basic normal guy, just like everybody else that's trying to hunt. And that comes across in your shows, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that's, that's who we are. We're just right. regular. I mean, like I said, I grew up in Northeast Missouri. I graduated with like 37 people in my high school class out of Paris. And I started hunting whenever my uncles and my dad could take me out. You know, me and my cousins, they were they were coming back and taking us on track jobs. And we we were five, six, seven years old. I mean, you've heard this story before because that's how a lot of people get involved in it, you know. We grew up hunting small private land on permission and a small farm that my grandpa bought back in the 70s in public land. Yeah. So that's just, we're just like everybody else for the most part. How did you, and that's that's what I, that's one question I was going to ask you is what you grew up hunting, um, you know, more pu- public or private. Um, you know, how did you make that transition when you got into this sort of, you know, where you hunt a lot of public? I'm, I know on some of your shows, you know, you're back home hunting family farm and stuff on some of them. But, you know, most of the time you guys are back out in public land. When did you kind of make that transition uh, in your career, I guess you'd call it? I started out hunting private land when I was a kid, but would occasionally venture out on the public with my dad and uncles and stuff to hunt turkeys or, you know, rabbits or squirrels or whatever. But I didn't do much deer hunting on public land. Until I was a teenager, um, I hunted. I killed my first deer and my, tur- and my first turkey off my grandpa's farm that my dad, his stepmom, still live on right now. And uh, that's the one that I constantly go back to every year, just because you know it's where I learned to do all that stuff. I caught my first fish out of that lake right there on that property too, so it's very important to me. But for sure, um, my cousins and my uncle farmed a piece of ground out uh, near some public land. Like, it bordered right up against public land. And they had permission to hunt that private property. So I hunted that private property with them some, but we also hunted over on the public land. And I shot my first buck with a bow out of an old tree stand that my uncle called Old Faithful. And it was right on the public-private border. And we could hunt the private, uh, the Milo field, or the, at the time it was a Milo field, it was an ag field, because my uncle farmed it. Um, we could hunt that ag field, because he farmed it, and all the deer were bedding on the public land. And I shot a little uh, hat rack buck that, that came off the public land that night and headed out to the Milo out of that stand. Um, that was the first deer that I ever killed with a bow. So he was on, he, he ended up, I ended up shooting about 10 feet on the private, and Went over on the public land and recovered him. So, uh, and and that was kind of how it was for me. I guess it was sort of a slow transition. Now I hunt primarily public land, but back in the in my teenage years, after I killed that buck, I hunted uh, probably fifty fifty. I hunted I hunted a little bit of public land here and there, and then I hunted on the farm and a couple other private land pieces that I had permission to hunt on. But I. At a young age, I would say when I was a teenager, I started I started really getting into going in and hunting new properties. That was something that that really got my interest early. I liked 
I like the idea, especially once I got my driver's license. I was like, man, I, <laughs> I really like the idea of having five or six small spots, even if yeah. everybody else can hunt them. I really like to have the idea of going to those different places because it seemed like seemed like I would hunt one spot and I would get close or whatever. I wouldn't get a deer. And then after I hunted it two or three times, it just wasn't as good. But then I'd bounce over to one of my other spots I hadn't even been at, and then all of a sudden I'm in deer. Yeah. So it just seemed like when I was moving around, bouncing from spot to spot, regardless of whether it's public or private, I was seeing more deer that way. So, And then it was just a progression from there. When I got up to Midwest Whitetail after college and was and was getting into the filming stuff hot and heavy, a buddy of mine that I hired as an intern, Pat McSherry, came down from Minnesota and... Uh, him and I both started hunting a lot of public land in Iowa together. That was 2011, 2012. That's when we started doing that. So back then, how did and that you... was that was when it kind of switched to full time. That's before that I hunted this split between public and private. But in 2000, the beginning of 2012, I pretty much since then have hunted, you know, 98 percent public land. That's cool. Yeah, makes sense. So, so back then, how did you start identifying? So, like for people traveling that don't live close to the public lands, I mean, you're traveling to Iowa and you started traveling different places. How did you start scouting places? I mean, was it just boots on the ground? Did you use e scouting? I mean, then I'm probably a little less, you know, uh, available than it is now. But uh, use a little bit of everything. Google Earth, you know, on the X. Once it came around is mm-hmm. a real real handy tool uh also calling locals if you know and trying to get any sort of information that you can about the area whether it's local hunters landowners or, i mean do an internet search about the area you might be able to pick up a few tidbits from a forum or something here and there yeah. or even a local biologist or a local conservation agent you know yeah, that's that kind of all preliminary work that we do before we go somewhere. And then once we get there, it's just a combination of, of map scouting and boots on the ground. That's cool. And driving around. That's And we'll get into us in a second, too. But, you know, that's – I don't know about you all, but, you know, as I started hunting, I always heard, you know, these bad stories about public ground. Like, you know, you're going to run into 20 guys and you can't, you can't kill any good deer off there. Well, you all – at the hunting public have obviously proven that you can you can take quality deer off of public land um all i got to do is go watch one of the you know one of the many you've done pick one right so that that gets rid of that issue right but what would what would the advice you give somebody that is you know has that uh i don't know that mentality about public land that it's it's you know not quality um and they're they don't want to go do it or they're scared to go do it because of the horror stories, I guess you'd call it, that they hear. Um, because they're oh, obviously... Oh, hell, that's the way I thought when I was Say what? <laughs> yeah, that's the exact same way I thought when I was younger. Sure. I was, I was the same mindset. That's why I said all ago, like, my opinions of places and things have changed mm-hmm. a lot over the years just through experiencing all these different, you know, environments and, and areas. But, yeah, I mean, I, I hear the gripe. Because I used to be that person. I used to go hunt public land or right next to it on private, and I would watch somebody walk in through the woods on public, and I would just be so mad. Uh, 
I'd climb down out of the stand. I mean, or, or if somebody walked by and ruined my hunt, I would just say, to heck with this. There's people everywhere. This is impossible. You know, there's no big bucks that are going to be coming out of there um, or whatever. You know, it's it's. I was fed up with it at different times. But the more, the thing is, is that you just got to trust it. You got to go out there. And regardless of where you hunt, whether it's public or private, you got to try to avoid people. Sure. Talk yeah. with them. I mean, if you see them at the parking lot or you run into them in the woods, talk with them. Try to figure out where they're going so you can go somewhere else. But what I used to get ticked off about was I'd have a predetermined location in mind, and I would be going there, and then I would see somebody in that location that was, quote-unquote, my spot, you know. Right. And then I'd get all ticked. Well, what I've learned over the years is whenever you see somebody in that spot, that's not, that's actually an advantage for you. That's not a disadvantage because you know they're laying down sitting there. You've already been in there, pretty good chance scouting. Now they're in there. There's a good chance that if there's a mature buck nearby, he ain't coming by there. That's true. Um, it's not, that's not necessarily the case every time, but it's sort of a process of elimination. That's one of my biggest weaknesses as a hunter is having a terrible time picking spots. Like if I have five or six locations, I have a heck of a time narrowing it down. But that's one thing that helps me do that. Whenever I see other hunters and I talk with them and find out where they're hunting, then then I go back to the drawing board and I say, okay, I'm leaving that spot alone. Now that cuts down my options. Yeah. So it makes the decision-making process easier at that point. Yeah, and I think all you know, us three that are talking to you right now, we've all grown up or have hunted ninety five percent at least private ground. And yeah, what have what has given us that that mindset a little bit, like you were just talking about, is we all go out every year to Colorado and you know over the counter archery elk hunt. And the first couple times you run into another hunter out there, you quickly realize you know there's other people there and. You're just going to have to, how do you say it? You're going to have to adapt. Go with, yeah, roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. If if you run into them, you're cordial with each other. You say hello. You know, you might ask where they're going. I mean, they have every right to be out there just like you. So, I mean, you can't, you can't be mad at them for wanting to do the same thing you're trying to do. So, and, but you're, you're exactly right, Aaron. That, that is funny you say that because I'm the same way. I, I suck at picking where I want to go. I'll always second guess and go, oh, wait, well, the, the wind might, you know, whatever, right? Well, you know, when we're attacking this mountain opening morning of, you know, elk season or whatever, and we we have, you know, these two guys going this way, these two guys going this way, and I go, well, there's only one way I go then. It's this way. You know, instead of, right. oh, which way should I go? It, it, you, you have that process of elimination, which does kind of make it easier. And Yeah, and I mean, they're pushing elk or deer or whatever into those little areas where there's no people. Right. That's what we found. If you hunt an area like opening day of gun season, for example, up here in Iowa, opening heck, opening day of gun season, whatever, pick a state. It's the same way. Most it's the same situation pretty well everywhere you go. So if on public land, there's going to be hunters everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to be in all the little nooks and crannies here and there. But I've noticed on the and that's the highest pressure day of the entire year for the deer on public land usually opening day if it's a weekend especially sure. of gun season mm-hmm. if on that day 
by that afternoon or the following day, if you manage to find a small little area on public land where there is no hunters, there's a chance you may see the most flipping deer that you've ever seen in your life. Because everybody because else is moving around someplace else. Yeah. Yep. That's right. They they get stocked in there. And uh, we've seen it happen over and over and over again. I know the I know that deer are smart enough to figure that out. Like they they see that pressure, they they perceive it as a threat and they move into areas of their range where there are no people. And they do it real quick. So, you know, if you can adapt to that, you can have some incredible hunts out there. I mean, and that's that's why I say my opinion has changed a lot over the years. Just the more I've learned about how deer behave in relationship to hunting pressure. Well, right. I mean, why, uh, yeah. I mean, I would. Why public land can be so good. Yeah, I mean, I would assume probably starting out, you probably were like what a lot of guys do. They go 100, 200 yards into the public land. They don't see nothing. They get burnt out. They move somewhere else. But, I mean, to really get after it, you need to get in there as deep as you can, away from everybody and away from the pressure, and find those little nooks and crannies to where they're hiding that. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy, though, Aaron, I bet you've seen this. I bet you get to the point where, you know, you have to roll with the punches, and you might have a bunch of people trying to get deep, and all them deer are up. 200 yards inside because nobody's there you know they're all trying to get deep after those deer so they've moved like you just said they're not stupid and you know sometimes it's just about adapting and figuring out where the guys are and not being where they are you know and it's we have that ability in this state we've got a lot of public land um and you know the options are there i mean I've hunted public a, a, just a handful of times with you, Micah, mm-hmm. and yeah, we saw hunters every we time. We saw hunters, but we also, I mean, but we were on deer. a hunter. We saw deer every time. That's too. true. Deer and turkey. So, yeah. I mean, we, we got close. So, and I mean, that's, to me, that's a success. As long as I'm seeing animals, I'm happy. You know, I might not have been in within range or something like that, but as long as I'm seeing them, I mean, you put that piece of the puzzle and, you know, you can just build on it from there. So... Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's kind of the the hard part for for us is and I'm sure you struggle with this when you first kind of made that switch too is we all have private opportunities right now where we can sort of um you know quote unquote manage our property. So, you know, we can have cameras, we have cameras out and obviously I know you can do that on public too, but um, we have our cameras out. We can kind of, you know, we get to know these different deer and figure out which ones we might try to try to go after and that sort of stuff. And every year I say, hey, if I harvest something early enough, I'm I'm going to go hunt public the rest of the year. And then I never do it yeah. <laughs> because you have this, you know, you get comfortable, I guess you'd say, in this spot. And, um, you know, it it'd be nice to to actually finally pull that plug it's it's that unknown that freaks you out which is weird because we go out to colorado and it doesn't freak us out well and I, i'll but, be honest with you i feel a little i should i shouldn't word it like this but a little guilt even that i have places i can go hunt on pu- on private on my bucket list i want to kill a mature deer off of public land but at the same time i want everybody to have opportunities and i have mine so i you know i don't know i, f- I feel almost a little guilty feel guilty it. for yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. But 
It's just honestly you know. when I started, <clears throat> and <clears throat> you all do. I mean, hunt however the heck you want to hunt. That's that's the beauty of hunting. Absolutely, you can make it individually whatever the heck you want. You want it to be. But I'll just say this. I mean, I used to beat my dad's farm to death. It's a hundred acres, and I would just. I would go in there. I'd take my week and a half vacation from the appliance store in early November to just hunt all day long during the hunt. And I'd sit the same tree day after day. I mean, I'd sit there for hours and hours, pack my lunch, everything. And I'd see a couple of deer every day. But I was right there on the farm, and I had pictures of bucks, so I just figured it's a waiting game at that point. Right. You know, and, and there's a chance that I'm on – get one eventually and that strategy did work but i had to put in an insane amount of time um way 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 more time back then doing that than what we put in now on public like we we've become more efficient about things now by becoming more mobile and i'll say yeah after going and hunting public a good bit and then going back to the farm now our success on the farm has improved because we've learned to manage the pressure yeah. and we've, we've learned a lot of tactics that overlap and help both areas. That's the, not, that's the biggest advantage that we have. We're not, we're not the best hunters by no means, but the advantage we have is we get to go to tons of different environments and how deer behave in them. Yeah. You got to learn, so we can take, learn different skills. Like you said, yeah, you can take all that information. Every single time that you go to a new area, deer are going to be behaving slightly differently in that area. You'll see these these small general things that overlap from one spot to the next. But whitetail hunting is so situational. And what I've found is the more situations you can put your mind into, the better off you'll be when it comes to hunting even specific bucks. Because a specific buck, especially once they get mature, most of them have a, a you know, a unique attitude, a unique personality almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, you, I mean, you can definitely see that with, with specific bucks, sure. Yeah. yeah and if the more, uh, the more adaptable you are as a situational hunter, the more adept you'll be at getting close to those deer. Yeah, that's what that's I'm saying that through my own experience. I'm not saying that as a general rule of thumb for everybody. That's just what's worked for me. That definitely makes sense. And the the guys some over the years. I mean, maybe that's just because that's the way we've done it. I don't know. Well, and if you take your (laughs) if you take your own experiences, you kind of think about it, Andy. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you in our in my personal experience, at least so far, every time I've had a change in property. That first year always seems to be amazing. Yep, you don't. And it's because it. you're think you you think new, and you're you're going, you know. And it's like you're not overthinking things; you're just thinking. Yep. Yeah, deer don't have your pattern then either. Yeah, and you go you're in there and the property probably different than the last person did. Right. Uh, just because you are different than the last person, um, your mind probably approaches things a little bit differently. Yeah, and there's a good chance that those that you're catching those deer off guard. Yeah, but, and then the, I mean I fell into that trap like you just talked about, Aaron. Is that first year I was at this new property I'm at, I tagged out two beautiful bucks, you know, and then yeah. the next year I almost had this script written in my in my head, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly how it's going to happen this year, too. And, you know, guess right. what Guess what didn't happen? <laughs> I didn't harvest the deer that year. So, you know, it's just kind of, you. I can see what you mean by always, you know, thinking differently. And and when you when you hunt public, you're forced to do that. And by doing that, you get better and better. And, of course, you all see hundreds of different, you know, public land spots. And, you know, the the better you get at just making decisions on the fly. So, um, another, go ahead, Andy. They get better about how to find deer. I mean, just find deer, you can kill deer. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of the most important part, I guess. And one thing that I've, I've noticed just by watching your shows for the last couple of years, which I was, I really wanted to see how you guys liked them. And then when I saw that you liked them, it made me a little upset because I had just spent all this money on two XOP vanish stands and, a pack to pack in my stand and this these hawk heliums and all this stuff that I've got. And then I saw you guys go and, and change or start using saddles this last year, correct, Aaron? Is that the first year you used them? Yeah, we used them for a couple years now. Is it a couple? Okay. So yep. obviously you all like them because you're still using them. And I think, you know, how, how much more mobile, for the people listening, You I guess you can maybe explain what a saddle is for anybody that ha- might not know, but... Um, how much, how much more mobile has that made you than your, your stand setups that you used before? Oh, I would say a good, a quick disclaimer up front though. Um, if you're already into a mobile tree stand, like what you're talking about in a mobile hunting system of any kind, that's, that's like the big step for a lot of people. Um, you know, and those are those are extremely effective. We still use tree stands from time to time as well. The saddles are we're just faster with them because they're lighter, they're smaller, they fit in more trees uh, with with more limbs and such. Right. Okay. We can jet up in a tree with one of them, get set up. If we observe deer at 200, 300 yards, we can jet down and move over there twice as fast as we used to be able to with a bigger hang-on tree stand. Yeah, I mean, there's... But like I said, I mean, the hang-on tree stand, the ones that you just mentioned, they're really nice, like, and they work great. Uh, they're just a little bit bulkier and heavier to pack in and out of the woods, and they, and they take a little bit longer to set up. At least they do for me. Yeah, I'm no, I'm not very fast. I mean, I've got a a setup now that I I thought I really liked, and then I started seeing saddles, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. But you know, I I went out and got like the bracket system so I could get it up there quicker, and then hang it on the tree and not have to bang it around, yep. you know. And on my my sticks, I ended up buying daisy chains, um, actually from another guy in Missouri that makes uh, Amsteel daisy chains. Um, yeah. And, you know, just kind of being more quiet and, and faster. And and then I saw those. I'm just like, yeah, that makes even more sense. But the more money I spend, the closer I get to getting in trouble by my wife every day. So, <laughs> and a, another thing I've seen you guys do on the show is, uh, which has intrigued me, because there are some guys out there that, that strictly hunt this way. How often are you guys hunting off the ground? That that intrigues me just because it's you know you're even more mobile than than when you are in a tree. How often are you guys doing right. that? What's that? How, what was the last thing you said? How often are you guys on the ground hunting? Um, 
compared to you know Probably a saddle. Fifty percent of the time. Yeah. I would say you're on the ground. Um, you know, it depends on your personality and your style too. Like Zach, for instance, in our group, he prefers hunting on the ground. He will only he and he hunts with the saddle too, but he only you know, and I'm speaking for him here uh, because he's like my brother, you know. <laughs> but like he's a he's the type of guy that's going to go into a situation more times than not, and he's going to try to find a setup on the ground that works for him. Um, if if he thinks that a tree is better, then he will occasionally jump up in the saddle. And that's why he likes the saddle is because he can take a few wild edge steps with him and wear that thing. And it's no, it's barely any extra weight. He can still hunt on the ground, which is what he's, which is what he's planning to do a lot of times where he can pop up in a tree, you know, if he needs to, i I would say I'm more like a 50-50 type of a hunter. I go in there with no real expectations to hunt on the ground or in a tree. I'm just looking for what I believe will be the best setup in that area. Um, once I get there, read the sign, figure out this is the area that I want to set up. I'm looking for trees or potential setups on the ground and trying to compare how the wind behaves in different ones, you know, Usually we can get ourselves into one or the other that that we got some confidence in, but you know it, that's a nice thing with the saddle is it's so light. I mean, it, several times we've we've worn those things in and you know just decided to set up on the ground. We started in a tree and got down and moved and shot one wearing the saddle on the ground. Actually, buck last fall wearing the saddle on the ground. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, those those are my my favorite ones to watch is when you know you're on you're like fly, ten yards away and the dang thing's looking at you in the face right before it gets it eats the arrow and you know those yeah. are pretty cool. But I, that's what's I guess it's weird because I like I was telling you I've been preparing to hunt public in this run and gun setup, but I don't really do it. And one of the things that kind of concerned me was all right, I'm going to have this this tree stand on my back. And I'm going to be hiking in, and what if I just end up hunting on the ground? I just lugged in this weight for nothing. So that's what it intrigued me about the saddles, uh, which I know we're going down a rabbit hole right now on gear. But that's what intrigued me about the saddles was I can just wear that thing in then, and I don't have to you know, feel like I just carried something in for no reason because it's just, you know, it's like I'm wearing another pair of pants or a, a pair of shorts. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's it's one of them deals that I've I've been intrigued by it, and there's a lot of people that are starting to use them, especially in in running gun setups. And uh, you know, the first time I go hunt in a public setup, or the the times you and I have, Micah. Well, we always sat on the ground. We've always sat on the ground, and the one time I tried to do a running gun, I I lugged this at the time. I didn't even have a, a vanish. I had a uh, like a gigantic hawk, like a magnum or something. And I lug it into where I need to get, and the tree I was going to hang in was too big for the straps of my sticks to get around. <laughs> oh yeah, that's happened many times. So I end up sitting this this big stand and sticks, which at the time the sticks were just whatever sticks I had. I don't even know what they were from Orschelins or something. And I end up sitting the dang thing on the ground next to the tree and hunting on the ground. So you know, like my experience so far hasn't been great because you know, I, I messed up. But that's what's intriguing. I knew you guys were using them now and. This would be a good chance to ask you 
you know how how much you like them and that sort of stuff. So that's good to know. It makes yeah, me want to spend money. I have a, I have a question. <laughs> on, I guess for myself, uh, I like to self film a little bit, and I you know I take a, a bracket in there with me and, and camera. How does the saddle? What's your experience of trying to film from the saddle? Is it fairly easy? No, I'd say it's more difficult for me out of the saddle than it is out of the stand to self film. Gotcha. I can see that. Um, because you're but, facing the tree, is that most of the reason? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way I end up, it, the way I was doing it last fall, and I only self filmed a handful of times out of the saddle. The thing last fall was I was turning around and I was standing on the platform facing directly away from the tree with my tether wrapped around my shoulder. So it basically the, the tether rope was just holding me into into the tree, right. and I was standing flat-footed on the platform. And from that angle, I could film with my right hand around the tree, and then I could grab my bow with my left hand and shoot. No different than you would if you were standing on a tree stand facing sure. directly away from the tree. Right. Yeah. Um, you just have a smaller platform. Yeah, it probably gets a little but, uncomfortable after a while, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually you got to turn around and take a break or, you know, sit down in the in the saddle or in the sling there and rest a little bit. But I don't know either. I mean, I I don't have a ton of experience with it yet. I haven't figured out all the kinks yet. You know, I've been self-filming out of a tree stand a lot longer than I have out of a saddle. So sure. it's obviously easier for me to do that still because of my lack of experience. But I've been hunting out of the saddle now enough times then I know I'm way, way faster setting up with it. I gotcha. Okay, well, kind of going down more of the products and things like that, take away the stands and your filming equipment. What's the, what's the number one and thing? And your bow. And, your, and well, your, bow. your bow. What's the number one thing that you take with you into the woods every time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, don't really take much, to be honest. I mean, we like to have milkweed. If possible, to check the wind. Yep. Yeah. And you I guys use that. Pack a, I usually have a rangefinder on me somewhere and a grunt call. Um, rangefinder usually gets pulled out, and I click it a couple of times every hunt just to check range on a few things. But it's only there. It's only there for specific situations. Right. However, you know, if you don't have it with you, you can't use it. So that's why it goes. That's why it's always with me. I use milkweed every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's such a big deal. When it comes to any, any type of hunting, you have to know your wind. I mean, that's I would say that's one of the number one keys to being successful is knowing your wind and, you know, trying to put yourself in the best position to where they're not going to wind you. Because if they wind you, yeah, it's game over. over. Game well, and over. what milkweed taught me, because, I mean, Aaron, you probably were like this for a long time. I'd always used, and I still do, like in Colorado, and a lot of times here, just the the powder. You know what I'm talking about? Puffer spray. The puffer oh, yeah. spray. And I bought. There's a guy on Facebook. I think he's called Butterfly Effect. Oh yeah, he makes our pouches. Okay. For us. Yeah. So I bought some from him last year, and yep. I'd be sitting there, you know, like in the morning, and I would take the milkweed out, and I would, you know, let some out. And what it really has taught me is. You know, you don't think about Missouri and thermals, but seeing what thermals do in the mornings and the evenings and that sort of stuff, especially like if you're near a creek or, you know, a body of water or something like that, you know, oh, yeah. you do that puffer spray and it's gone within 15 feet and you can't tell what's happening after that. 
you let that milkweed out and i mean you can watch it for 200 yards if you can see it that far and it's right. it's crazy what it does in some spots you know that's the spot i hunt at, over at your place that you know i'm down in the creek bank it there's times where i feel like i can feel the wind hitting me in the face mm-hmm. and i'm thinking it's going the right way and i drop that milkweed and it just sucks it straight down that creek Huh. You know, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. I'll be honest, I haven't me. used milkweed. I'm going to have to try it. I'll give you some of that. That I mean, it's cheap, but I'll give you some of the stuff I got. I no, appreciate it. it. It's, it's, it's worth it. You got to find some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where where did you find that out about? Is that just something that you were taught growing up? I mean, I'd never in my life heard about milkweed. No, Dan in, Dan in fault. Okay. He was a, there's a, there's a whole litany of guys, you know, that uh, we learned stuff from in 2014, 2015, um, and 2016. Well, we're still learning from them all the time. But Dan Infall, guys like Joe Elzinger, Greg Litzinger, everybody on the Hunting Beast Forum back yeah. you know, three or four years ago, a lot of the a lot of the the uh, tenured members on there. These are guys that have been hunting public land for and trying to harvest mature bucks for decades. Like, Dan, Dan Impulse is a well-known guy now, yeah. you know, across the board, but that's the thing I think a lot of people still don't really grasp with him. It's like, he's been hunting public land since, you know, back in the 80s, the late 70s. Like, guys like John Hart, you know, um, they're those are the guys. Dan is the one in particular that I learned the milkweed stuff from. Yeah, that that blew and my a mind. A lot of the other mobile hunting tactics. You know. Yeah that that milkweed was one big, um, probably you know one of the biggest things from watching your all show. I just had not you know for whatever reason heard of it, and you know the first couple of episodes I watched whatever years ago it was, um, saw you guys using that and. Then you know you try it and you you just see the difference between that puffer spray and what might actually be going on. Um, and you're oh, right, yeah. Dan's one of those guys. I, like when I'm watching him on whatever show, you you see him and you you just wish you could crawl into his mind and take everything out of it. You can just see the experience and you know the the. Uh, the smartness in him, which I don't have. <laughs> yeah. uh, the smartness in him. Okay. No, I don't even know how to say smart. Knowledge. To be honest, uh, he, and he probably would tell you this. He's a very, he's a simple guy. And he, when he goes out there and hunts mature bucks, he does it with a purpose. He goes into it with a plan, but he's a very adaptable hunter. The thing with Dan, um, you know, me, I tend to overthink things because i get so analytical at times mm-hmm. dan he has so much experience to this point where he does a much better job just following his instincts you know and getting into a, a location and because he's been in so many of those situations he's you'd be surprised he's very direct with his answers and things when it when it comes to hunting deer on public land and on a lot of the things he says he repeats the same stuff over and over again because it's true, it works. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it works for everywhere, not just public land and private land. That was when I started hearing him talk about how mature bucks react to human scent and 
you know, how they bed and stuff a few years ago. We started diving into the old archives at Midwest Whitetail and looking through all of the mature buck encounters that we had that we had either filmed or edited or, you know, hunted or saw ourselves because there was dozens and dozens of them, you know, in that video library. And just everything he was saying was ringing true with the way that they behaved. Yeah. And it was just like all these light bulbs started going off. And I think that's what's so good about shows like yours, you know, The Hunting Beast, uh, Born and Raised for us like with Elk, just... If you're wanting to get into hunting, you can learn a lot. You know, I when I first started hunting, and I'm Andy, you started when you were real young, but I was a little older when I started hunting. I just I just went, and for the first few years, I didn't ever see animals. I mean, I might see like one deer, you know, a, a year, and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> Why am I not seeing anything? And then I started getting on YouTube and whatnot, and you know, going, okay, these guys say I should pay attention to my wind, so I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden, boom, deer show up. Yeah. And, you know, just by learning simple things like that when you're new and, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, if you want to start hunting and you don't have access, there's public land. There's Wherever you live in this state, there's going to be some, some public land within, I would bet you money, within an hour where anybody lives in this state. Right. Oh yeah. And so, all you got to do is go and take what you know, shows and forums and stuff like that, put out and use it, and you could be successful. I think. I mean, the information's out there. Just got to do your time. You know, go look for it. But what what advice would you give to somebody that's that's wanting to do what Nate just talked about? You know, they they're really kind of new to hunting. They're really you know, don't know where to start as far as finding a place to hunt public land-wise, where would you suggest they start? Uh, I would say, you know, try don't be intimidated by public land. If you're worried about running into a bunch of people, try to get out there during the week. And, um, if not, don't sweat it. Just go out there and talk to the other folks that you see hunting the property and try to work with them. And like we were talking about earlier, hunt the hunt areas where don't see people. Yeah. And consequently, you're going to start running into deer sign. The other thing I'll say, and this goes for anybody, if you're a beginner or if you are an expert and you've been doing this for a long time, the more... It seems like the more we move around, the more success we have. Like, don't don't get locked into sitting in one spot nonstop. Just if you don't take anything else away from all of the the stuff that we spew out on our channel, <laughs> that's the number one thing. Move around. Makes sense. And just by doing that, whether you're hunting public or private land, just by moving around, you're going to catch more deer off guard. You're going to catch them by surprise. And that's how you get real good, close, ethical shots with the bow yep. often, especially on big bucks. Yeah. Well, and I, another you thing. You can throw a dart at the map and go out there and set up. As long as it's a new area or a new tree or whatever that you haven't been in before, you got to shoot. Yeah. Well, and someone that is wanting to hunt Missouri, 
Here's the nice thing. I don't know about other states, but you can get on Missouri Department of Conservation's website and you can find every piece of public land that is in this state on their website. So you don't, I mean, we have it, but you don't have to go download Onyx. You don't have to go pay for some service up front. You can just get on MDC's website and find anything in your area. And then the other thing that I called, I just called the conservation agent, like Aaron mentioned early in the show, and just said, hey, uh, was wanting to get some information about this piece of ground. Is it, can I hunt it with a bow? Is it okay, you know, how do I need to access? The one experience I've ever had with making that phone call was really positive. I mean, that that guy told me everything I needed to know about, hey, can I hunt here? Where can I get in? That sort of stuff before I made the drive out there. And so if there's anybody in this state, I would guess those two things, if you do those two things and don't know anything else about a property, would you say that's that's a pretty good start at least? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. You guys got anything else for him? I got one more thing. So what's some uh, – I I've been watching, but what are some projects you guys are working on right now? Oh, the videos. We've been working on a bunch of Texas pig videos here recently. We're uh, we're getting ready to film more arrow tuning and arrow building stuff in the next couple of days here. Um, we've got some hunt breakdowns that we need to go through. We're going to do a mapping whitetails video at some point in the next month and a half. Oh, there you go. Where we talk about different terrains. Uh, probably, you know, talk about whitetail, uh, a few hunts from like the northeast and down south compared to the Midwest and stuff like that. That's, that's another video that we're going to be working on here in the short term. Cool. That sounds good. I'll have to look out for that one. I'm a big fan personally of the the turkey tour. I watched all that. Yeah. I was you know at home uh, during the whole COVID situation, <laughs> and uh, working from home, I was able to to have you guys playing during working, the day, working, working quote unquote it, it from was home in the quote unquote background. Uh, <laughs> able able nice. to watch the the turkey tour quite a bit. I think I may have missed an episode here or there, but for the most part, I bet watched ninety something percent of it. But uh, got, cool. really got me itching to go out and try it myself. Yeah. Oh man, turkey hunting's a blast. That's our favorite thing to do. No, I, I'm, you like that over deer hunting? Yeah, pretty much all of us would probably say that we that's crazy. We like that's turkey cool. hunting better than deer hunting. Um, but you know, we we may not say the same thing on you know Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever they start moving, it's kind of hard to. Yeah. Ooh, it's kind of hard to think about them birds then. Well, I got I got yeah. a question for you. Being how you're from Missouri, you've hunted in Missouri a lot. What would be your favorite Missouri hunting public land hunting story? Do you have one of those for us? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> Putting them on the spot. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you got a few up there. There's a lot of there's a lot of good ones. Were Dang, you with I Were you know. with Ted when Ted shot that one from the ground? Um. I'm not, I don't know where you guys were, obviously, but he shot a, a large buck from the ground either last year or the year before. Sorry if I don't I don't remember that. I think it was the year before. And it, it went on to private ground, and you guys had to get permission, even though the, the buck was just like, you know, 30 yards inside the, the property owner's um, property. You had to get permission to go um, recover him. Were you, yeah. were you there? Were you there? I can't remember. I remember Ted shooting oh, him. I but. was... 
I wasn't there when he shot him. Jake filmed him shooting. Okay. But Ted and I scouted that spot about five, six days before that together. And then uh, then he shot him, and I met up with him and Jake, and then we all went out there and tracked him. And I was with them whenever we found him, you know, across the fence line. Yeah. I remember you making the phone call to the owner, and that's why I was like, I can't remember if Aaron was filming or, or who was with him, but... So I'll answer yeah. it for you. That that's my favorite <laughs> Missouri, <laughs> Missouri public a, land. <laughs> that was a great one. That was a great one. It'd be, I don't know, man. I've had so many good experiences out there with my buddies and my, uh, you know, family and friends. It'd be hard to pick just one. That night that I shot that, my first buck with a bow was pretty fun. That was pretty cool. And I don't know if you could count that as a public land experience or not. It was kind of half public, half private at that point, but. Because the deer came off public, I shot him ten feet onto private, and then he ran over onto public. Yeah. We'll allow it. We'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> the judges say allowed. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, I could, I could, I could hunt that private ground too. <laughs> I had permission to yep. hunt it. So. Yeah. Oh no, no. That, but that hunt of Ted's that was really something. That was a, that was a really cool deal right there. And that's that's the epitome of being adaptable. Um, they were up in a tree and saw those saw several bucks on a movement pattern that afternoon and immediately climbed down and moved over there. That's why they set up on the ground. They set up on one trail. Yep. And that buck just happened to walk down it right there at last light. If I remember correctly, they didn't move very far. I mean, it, no, they only moved about 80, a hundred yards. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's the difference between him being shot and not even seeing him potentially. So that's right. Especially yep. with a bow. That's why, like I said earlier, if you don't take anything away from all of our BS that you watch, just see how much we move around. <laughs> like, just by moving around. I talked about earlier in the podcast about how I used to sit the same stand over and over again, and I would eventually maybe kill something. But it would take me, like, seven, eight, ten days of hunting all day long before something did perfect in that stand. Yeah. And when we started moving around those those close range encounters, um, with bucks especially, just started going way way up. You just saw light bulbs. Did you did you hear all those light bulbs going off above <laughs> our heads when you said that again? <laughs> yeah, it's just even on private. I mean, you you get stuck in this rut, pun intended, right? I mean, you get stuck. <laughs> And you have this stand hanging right here, and you know that's where you've killed the last two and whatever. And you, you, right. you do, you get uh, stagnant st- and stubborn. Yeah. Now I'm not. This is the right move. When it, man, I'm telling you, when we when we go and do consulting trips on private ground in the off season, it's, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant when I say this. It's usually very easy to find out where the mature bucks are at. Yeah. I mean, almost without fail, because we hand the the people that hunt the ground a map, and we tell them, mark on this map where you walk, where you hunt, where you check your cameras. And then they mark the spots on the map, and then we, we cross them off, and we go to the two spots that they haven't been. And <laughs> boom, big rubs, big sheds, everywhere. And it's just like, I mean... I know that's real direct and simple, but I'm serious. That's about how that's about how it is everywhere we go. It's like every and sometimes it's 150 yards from you know their hunting cabin or the shed or whatever that they that they stay at or that they park at. 
Yeah. Now, you, when you said that, I mean, I was just thinking about my hunting property and what you just said, and I, I drew myself a trail and I, where my cameras are and all the things you you asked the landowner, and I'm sitting there overanalyzing what you just said to me already. <laughs> Like okay, um, I, I, I know did it you... on my dad's farm for years, so I know it. I mean, <laughs> I, the first year I started hunting that thing mobile, I went and I flipped the farm. Basically, I was like, "To heck with this!" I always hunt here on this food plot. I grabbed my mobile tree stand at the time. I went clear around the back of the property to my neighbor. I asked him if I could walk in through his pasture. He said, "Yes, go ahead." Walked in through his pasture. I just went about it completely different than I ever had before. And that night. We saw three bucks, and two of them were the shooter bucks that I've been getting camp pictures of all summer long up on my food plot that had, you know, disappeared or went nocturnal. They were 350, 400 yards in that food plot, but they were living in the back corner of the property where I ain't never been. Yep. Yeah. And nobody's ever walked in, to my knowledge, to hunt them from right there. I popped up in a tree and about killed one the first night. And that was a... Those are the two, at the time, those were two of the biggest bucks I'd ever even seen on the whole property. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know it works. It's just hard to do it. It's, it's yeah, really it hard to it's do hard it. To get out of that habit of, you know, your deer stand. When I, I hunt the same two, three deer stands, you know, during early bow season, I, I just, like you said, I, I beat them to death. But come rifle season, I'm more comfortable on the ground. So that's when I'll start going to the places I haven't been during bow season. And you're sure. right. Typically, you start seeing other yeah. things, yeah, different yeah. stuff. I mean, well, if you think about it, a bow, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like to do 30 yards and in every time. Right. With a rifle, it's a little easier to get out there. You can reach out and touch them a little further away. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. And with that, with all that said, you know, I've had some great hunts up there next to my old faithful tree stands on my dad's farm the last four or five years. It's, it kind of all depends on where the hot sign is at that given time. Yeah. You know, if the farm hadn't been hunted all fall, I could go up there to that food plot and set up in it in late October, and there's a good chance we'll, I'll see a buck come out on it. Yeah. You know, but if it has been hunted and people have been up there checking cameras or whatever, then I'll change my strategy a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a promise to myself right now. If I start having <laughs> issues this next year, I'm going to. You already have issues. Well, I already have it. We all know that. That that was already a given. <laughs> if I start having issues hunting this this year, I'm going to try to be more adaptable and get over the fact that I might not be in a tree. You know, the the property yeah. I'm talking about, the spot that is difficult to access doesn't have trees that are you're gonna you're gonna be able to get into. They're all thorny locust. I guess you could get into them, but they're gonna be not fun. Uh, I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna get over the fact that I might hunt from the ground and make those decisions earlier and move if I need to. You know, if I'm not if I'm seeing potential sign or you know they're they're skirting me that sort of stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little better at uh, not being stubborn. Maybe this year we'll see. There you go. <laughs> well, you know it depends. If you have success being stubborn, then keep being stubborn. <laughs> I mean that's. That's kind of the deal. Whenever people call us to consult on their property, it's usually because they're having problems. Like, and they're they're not they're not able to harvest the bucks that they want or whatever, or achieve their goals, whatever. Right. Um, so we we usually go in there with a fresh perspective and can help them. 
But if somebody is having success on their property doing it a certain way, I'm definitely not going to tell them to change anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Very true. Well, man, we uh, we really appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, you know, talking about Missouri public ground. I mean, it there's op, op, opportunities and options out there for the citizens of this state and, of course, surrounding areas. And um, we thought it'd be really cool to have a Missouri boy on who has shown everybody that public ground can produce and, you know, does it the right way in our opinions. We we really enjoy sure. what you all do there. Um, we we Like I said, I don't watch a lot of video, but I will take time out of my schedule and, and watch your guys' stuff. So it, it's really good. I think people relate to you all really well, and we appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us and, um, and, our, and our seven listeners. Get, get out there and do it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. All right. You guys got anything else? Go check out THP, guys. It's yeah. good. Check yeah. out their YouTube channel. Check out all their content. Learn a lot. Oh, uh, no. That'd be great. Send them all over. Check yeah. it out and let us know what you think. <laughs> all right, guys. Actually. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one, guys. See ya. All right. That's the show. That was a good one. Yeah. I think the main thing that he was trying to get across there, don't be scared to move. Yeah, I mean, you don't even think about some of that stuff, but he's right. Don't be scared to make changes. If you're beating your head against the wall, why continue doing it? Yeah, just get up, go somewhere else. Yeah. And then the other thing I think that's important to know is, I mean, the opportunity out is out there for Missouri public ground. You know, if, sure. if you want to start doing it, just start doing it is really the only – you know, get on MDC's website, find some public ground around you, call conservation agents, or even um, some of those conservation areas have people that work there. I don't know what you would call them. Um, like a park ranger type person. Sure, yeah. And, you know, you can call that person, and, and they'll give you whatever information you're really looking for. Right. They probably won't tell you exactly where to go. but If you get a good one, they will. Sure. I personally have, hey, you might want to go check out this area. I, I mean – conservation agents do that so yeah. if you can find them they will give you information if you ask you just gotta ask and, and go get boots on the ground before season i mean winter time would have been really nice to do that when it's not you know 95 freaking degrees outside with but even right flies now all over but on my way over here is super super nice to see i mean you start driving and looking at you know bean fields or you know hay fields and you can see them out there i mean that's one of my favorite times just to take drives in the evening Oh yeah, and to start watching and looking, you start to figure out where they're feeding in the evenings, and especially early season bow hunting, they're still there. Yeah, yeah. So I I thought it was a great episode. Uh, learned a lot and got to just uh, listen to how you know the hunting public does things. It's kind of cool to hear how how often they hunt on the ground compared to in their saddles, mm-hmm. and how often they do different things. You know, I didn't. You know, when you're watching it, you don't really think about how often they are on the ground, but. That's one tactic I'm. I might try to use. I say, have me intrigued to make a change. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So, hope you all enjoy the show. We will uh, catch you on the next one. All this right. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. That's not the right time to do that. <laughs> oh, okay. You My know bad. that. Come on, man. You more be more professional. My bad. All right. That's See the end. Guys. God. Bye, guys. See ya.